Hey, thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. If you like this episode, please follow us and tell one of your colleagues about the interview you're about to hear or have heard in the past. We hope you enjoy our conversations and that you'll listen to others in our library. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please reach out. We'll do our best to incorporate them. Thanks again. This is your host, publisher and co-founder of the registry, Vladimir Bosanets, and today's conversation takes us back to San Francisco. For the last 15 years, Michael Eno has been on the front lines of a real estate market in Northern California that has undergone one of the most dramatic transformations of any market in the U.S. and perhaps even globally. Starting his commercial real estate career in San Francisco's famed The CAC Group, Michael honed his skills there alongside some of the best brokers in the industry. When CBRE purchased the firm, Michael continued there for another five years until landing a role as president of Ray's Commercial Real Estate, a technology-powered brokerage firm helping companies reimagine the workplace. Our conversation takes us across a landscape looking to redefine itself following the global COVID pandemic. And we tackle the question of what the future, or at least the near future, may hold for the San Francisco market. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Um, Mike, good afternoon. How's it going? Well, it's going going well. It's great to hear from you. Excellent. Yeah. Where do we find you today? Where are you? You find me uh, in our San Francisco office, which is um, right in Jackson Square, downtown San Francisco. Excellent. Excellent. And how is Jackson Square? Uh, uh, busy you know, with people <laughs> mulling I'll, around? I'll tell or? you, I was uh, out on tour this morning with a client looking at, at, at spaces throughout the financial district, and it was busier than, uh, it was, it was a you know, busy Tuesday morning. I was going to say Monday morning, but um, Tuesday morning. And uh, Jackson Square, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a nice view of a, a park out of our office window, and it's, it's bright and sunny, which has been Wonderful. A, a nice break from the rain. Yeah, wonderful. So, Mike, let's uh, sort of jump into that. But but before we kind of jump into the you know the 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 rest of what's happening throughout the market, I do want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself a little bit, tell mm-hmm. us a, a bit about your background, kind of how you got to where you got to, and you know how your your sort of career path led you to raise. Sure. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I've been um, you know in the San Francisco market for gosh seventeen years now. Um, you know, working prim- primarily with occupiers um, as their you know tenant representative. Um, this will be my raise is my, my the third company I've worked worked at uh, here in San Francisco. I started my career at a firm called the CAC Group. Um, we were kind of a boutique San Francisco firm that really, um, at the time, had an outsized portion of the market. Uh, we sold the firm to CBRE. Uh, you know, about about nine years ago, and I spent about five years at CBRE. So I had that kind of the the, the uh, nice fortune of kind of experiencing both ends of um, of the brokerage landscape from a kind of a yeah. hyper focused local boutique firm to you know a very large global provider um, and you know it, it, I was able to kind of really uh, understand kind of what what worked well and what, what you know, frankly maybe didn't work as well as as hoped um, from both perspectives and then. That's what led me to uh, join Ray's previously Hello Office about four years ago. Um, I just you know saw really a, a need in the industry for um, you know you know frankly you know some disruption both on on the technology side and also just how we uh, we being kind of myself and our team you know we are you know brokers that predominantly 
have worked you know, with high growth technology companies um, and how we serve our, our clients. So that's what led me to to uh, raise um, and here at raise. You know, we are a you know really a modern real estate technology and brokerage firm. Uh, you know, we're building innovative products and delivering workplace solutions for for cold, for clients. You know, locally, regionally, nationally, and, and globally. Yeah, yeah. And your focus is primarily on San Francisco, as it was before, correct? Um, you know, so I would say yes and no. <laughs> yes, being um, personally, and most of my clients are based here in San Francisco or the Greater Bay Area. But you know, we uh, you know we grow with our clients, and as our clients scale, sure. we scale with them. So. Um, and I'm tran- transacting globally on behalf of clients, um, but I'd say most of my clients are Bay Area based. Right, and that's been kind of the hallmark of a commercial real estate broker, I would say, in the Bay Area over the last decade. Right, I mean, maybe even last decade and a half, you've really had to sort of go to places where you know your clients went. If you had a relationship, obviously, with some firm, right, that all of a sudden wanted to expand in you know Berlin or Latin America or someplace, right. You guys had to do that with them. Um, tell us about sort of how that evolved and sort of, you know, is is that sort of, you know, what every broker today needs to do in order to be successful? It's a really good question, Vlad. I'd say um, in the Bay Area, I, you know, that, I think you're right. You know, over the past kind of decade or so, that has kind of become more and more of a focus as kind of, you've seen technology companies kind of that are founded in the Bay Area really scale globally, um, you know, and then in San Francisco, in particular, kind of as a kind of subset within the Greater Bay Area, you know, over the, over this past cycle, called the past five to seven years, we've seen more and more companies that are you know, specifically technology companies, startups, you know, that chose to be founded to, to to start here in San Francisco as opposed to potentially Silicon Valley. And so, what San Francisco became was, in a way, kind of a an HQ city for a lot of the newer technology companies over the past again five to seven years. And then as a kind of broker and advisor to them, yes, like you, um, you know, you kind of the expectation is that you can and you should scale with them because a lot of these companies are in such hyper growth mode that, you know, having kind of a big partner that can help them scale that has done it on behalf of other clients and sees right. what that kind of their peers and are doing in the industry um, and kind of understanding best practices is, you know, really invaluable. And you also mentioned um, what you, what you are building was kind of a you know technology sort of enabled firm. Uh, you know, tell us what that means in sure. this day and age. Obviously, everyone uses technology, but I am curious from a commercial brokerage point of view. You know, how do you distinguish sort of what you guys do, and how does it help you do things better than you know your peers in the industry? Yeah, great, great question. So you know, we, yes, as I mentioned, we are a technology enabled firm. Um, you know, so about you know roughly half of our our company is focused on, on, on the product side, you know, from product design, um, designers, software engineers, data team members. And, you know, we're building, or we have built, I should say, you know, really a full stack um, platform for our clients and brokers to, you know, um, run a, an entire process on, you know, from the beginning of a search to kind of lease signature, build out, and ongoing workplace management. And the idea is that, you know, you know, we, Really firmly that like our clients deserve better than than what's being delivered to them out there in the world and from from um from a technology perspective in commercial real estate and you know our, our you know we really want to be that single source of truth for our clients so whether they need to look up kind of a critical date in their portfolio or 
kind of check on a space that we're interested in in Berlin, for example, or kind of you know check on the status of a, a build out that they're doing here in San Francisco. Um, really having that kind of single source of truth that is you know available to them at their fingertips when they want to consume the information, um, and that is something that you know we feel strongly about is is kind of meeting our clients kind of where they are and how they like to work. And a lot of our you know clients are technology companies and you know are, are used to operating and, and working in this fashion. Is this a proprietary system or is it something that uh, you guys can tap into with the rest of the industry? Oh, good question. It is proprietary. It's something that we very intentionally built from the ground up. Um, it is for, you know, us, you know, being like raised and, and our clients. Um, yep. And it's something that, that you know, we're, we're const- constantly iterating on and adding new features and components to it kind of as we realize what's important to our clients today because um, you know the, the world of workplace and real estate is it's probably evolved more in the past three years than it has in the past yeah. <laughs> yes. 30, 100 years uh, right. so really being being nimble enough to like meet our clients with kind of what's important to them what do they need right what do they need yeah. to see is it is um we felt strongly that have building something proprietary um would, would allow us to be more effective yeah. So let's jump into this notion of it's evolved over the last three years, <laughs> more than in the last 30, perhaps. Um, here we are talking in January of 2023. It's, you know, Q1 of the whatever third year of COVID or post-COVID or wh- whatever you <laughs> want to call it, right? Um where where are things? I mean, and I don't necessarily um, want to dwell on sort of the news about San Francisco in general and how it's been struggling. What I would love to hear from you in terms of, you know, where the market is, just the stuff that you said earlier, you know, it was a busy Tuesday, you saw people out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, what are companies looking for these days um, that includes office, that includes home office, that includes some kind of shared shared space? How, how would you sort of read the market today um, if you were advising your, you know, end, end user clients? You know, it's... it's um it continues to evolve, and I'd say in San Francisco in particular, you know, we are starting to see more and more companies, um, in my opinion, either kind of return to the office or kind of make commitments to return to the office, and kind of that is then spurring, um, you know, office searches. And it's really, I mean, what a lot of companies have been struggling with over the past few years is how how do we return to the office? Um and and what does that look like? And is it going to be an iterative process? Or are we going to mandate something? And you know what I think is happening is we are starting to see companies you know take positions on you know each company is different. I don't think there's more kind of one kind of um, one answer for everybody. But you know companies are starting to take positions, which is spurring you know some some tenant demand in the San Francisco market. Um, I mean, just in the first gosh about two three weeks of the of this calendar year. You know, we, we've we've noticed that raise kind of an uptick in in um, activity from our kind of existing clients, kind of past clients, um, new prospects, and I think and there's if there is a trend, I would say we're starting to see those early stage companies, you know, even some that were founded during you know in the past three years, um, really making a push to kind of get an office and bring everybody together. Yet, you know, for a lot of these companies, it's a very critical point in their company life cycle, you know, those first call it one to three years. So yeah. we, we are seeing, um, like, I'd say, a, you know, increase in demand in that segment of the market. Um, we continue to see, you know, <clears throat> larger users um, put space on the sublease market. 
Um, and, you know, potentially there might be some coming, you know, over the course of the next 12 months or so. Um, but I will say it does feel like there is more demand and more talk of kind of tennis coming back into the market than there has been in the past few quarters. And one of the things that you just mentioned sort of kind of makes me think of that it's almost the, you know, it depends on what stage in the life cycle of a company you are. Maybe you're more interested in space as an early company, but as some of these, you know, legacy firms now like Salesforce and, you know, Meta and all of those, they're at a different point in their sort of life, if you will, right? Um, maybe they're not meeting their numbers, they're not meeting the profit sort of, you know, margins that they had in the past. Mm-hmm. So they're at a different point of view. It's, it's not necessarily driven just only by change in the work environment. It's also driven by other factors as well. Is that is that correct? Like what what are some of the factors I think is is where I'm going with this that are, you know, driving the market um, from kind of if 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 you look at a sort of span of the life cycle of a of a company. Sure. That's a it's a good question. Is that you know this you know, the, the sales forces of the world, you know, called the, the blue chip big tech companies. I mean, without calling out Salesforce in particular, I think it's pretty common amongst all of those companies in that general, um, um, of that size. You know, they really went on kind of just net leasing sprees and, and leased up a lot of space over the past you know, those few years running up uh, right before COVID with the anticipation of just continued um, hiring and, and kind of pretty lofty headcount projections. And I think as those have changed, and, um, you know, their need for space, you know, has and will continue to potentially change. So, I mean, I, my take on it is that it's, you know, for the larger tech companies, the larger users, it's more of a right-sizing um, kind of, kind of. each one is kind of going through their own exercise of how do we right-size our physical real estate portfolio to meet the needs of our kind of current and, and like, new projected employee base. Um, and that coupled with, you know, have we changed our workplace strategy, you know, from maybe being in office to hybrid to remote first or some, you know, variation of all three of those or, or of, of those. And so I think it, it is kind of case by case when you, you look at the quote unquote big tech. Um, I think if there's a resounding kind of theme, it's, you know, they're all right sizing their, their portfolios to meet what they think is going to be their new way of working over the next few years. Um, <clears throat> and then I think, you know, you have another sector of the market, again, within the kind of broader technology landscape of, you know, those you know, early to mid-stage companies that are doing well or, you know, have, you know, really thrived over the past few years yeah. um, that are taking advantage of what is now, in this case, a soft real estate market um, to to get spaces that, um, <clears throat> you, know, but, you know, that they didn't have the opportunity to, you know, for, I guess, you know, three and a half, four years ago. So it is, um, I think there's incredible, it's a, it's a market of incredible opportunity if you're out looking for space. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, I mean, in my gosh, 17 years is probably the most, one of the more exciting markets to be in um, if you're out looking for space. Right, right. And as a tenant rep brokers, um, you guys probably have a really good sense in terms of, you know, what the end users are looking for. You know, it used to be mm-hmm. amenities, of, of all sorts of things, uh, you know, b- back in the day, including, uh, you know, access to, you know, food and access to kind of, you know, free, you know, dry cleaning and even daycare and things like that. W- what are the drivers today? What are what are end users looking for when they think about like, okay, what do we need to provide to our employees now in this new space? You know, that's a really good question. It, it is something that as specifically as we've kind of, as I've 
doing some traveling with clients and looking for space in other markets, it's become more and more apparent that um, I think you know, there are there are other markets in the country that where the buildings have really over amenitized themselves to to um, kind of to, to attract tenants. And you know, San, we, we didn't really see that in San Francisco. Do you mean that? In, do you mean that in a negative way, like over amenitized in a sense? No, no. I mean, sorry. I mean, in a, in a, in a very, in yeah, very yeah. much a positive way, where um, you know, rather than you know, a, a building's amenity is, you know, for example, it's like you know, they have a a gym and a uh, you know, and, and showers that might be located in a basement, and it's kind of dark and not that right, you know, welcoming. Um, as opposed to a an entire floor up on like the higher stack of the building with an outdoor deck that's dedicated to the building's tenants, and there's a bar and a lounge and you know maybe a coffee shop and some place where you know employees of the companies in the building actually want to go spend time outside of their own physical office space. And you've seen it, and you see it in some other markets across the country. And you know there hasn't been a huge push for that in San Francisco. I think it's my personal opinion is that over the past you know those years running up to to COVID, we were there was so much demand in this market. It was, it was arguably one of the most active markets in the country that, um, I mean, you had tenants fighting, right, you know, tripping right. over each other for space. And, and landlords just didn't have to do that much to attract tenants in terms of physical improvements to the building. I think that is changing. And I think what a lot of companies now are looking for are, um, <clears throat> you know, they want to provide a place where their employees are excited to come into the office and, that goes. That I mean, that is everything from the physical aesthetic of the office space to maybe the food and beverage program that the company offers, but also the building it's in and what does the building yeah. have to offer. And um, so, I think there is. I think there's going to be a higher focus on um, you know, what sort of amenities you know a building or a landlord can offer within the building. And I think there there continues to be like a doubling down on the neighborhood amenities of you know food and beverage options within a walking distance, public transit, parking. We're seeing parking become more and more important um, for, for many companies. Are the landlords these days um, understanding sort of some of these, you know, market dynamics? I do feel like over the last couple of years, they were pretty sort of hard on holding kind of their – you know, their side of the bargain in terms of um, not lowering rents, not maybe, you know, looking to provide some kind of, um, uh, you know, incentives, you know, things like that. Is that changing um, as, you know, some of these bigger, you know, office occupiers are giving back space and they're realizing, okay, I need to secure, you know, my tenant role as much as possible. In other words, are they, you know, understanding where the dynamic is going to be driving the market over the next, you know, 18, 36 months? It's a, it's a great question. I think you're, you're touching on a topic that is top of mind for you know, really everybody in the real estate industry right now, um, yeah. specifically in San Francisco is, is the kind of the capital markets. Cause I, I genuinely, my personal opinion is that landlords understand, you know, some more than others, but like generally speaking, they understand what that kind of demand, ha- the nature of the tenant demand has changed and to yeah. be competitive in the market, you, you, your offering has to change. Um, I mean, so there's two things, I think the nature of the demand has changed based on, you know, some of the amenities I mentioned, but also, the competitive nature, the competitive landscape has changed with the sheer amount of sublease space that's on the market that is predominantly built out, furnished, and you know more or less, more and less plug and play. Um, 
And so, you know, if you're a tenant in the market and you're looking at two options and one that's furnished, built out and furnished, and one that's not, I mean, that's a significant yeah, cost that you are going to yeah. incur. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you know, most landlords understand that. Um, I think some landlords, you know, unfortunately don't have total freedom to kind of to meet the market. You know, there, there are kind of limiting factors, um, you know, depending on potentially kind of their underlying cost basis, their, their loan covenants, et cetera. And so the financial constraints, financial constraints, than, exactly. Right, um, right. And, you know, and this is not unique to this point in time in the market, but kind of generally speaking, landlords like to keep their, their, their face rates or their rents high and are willing to, you know, quote unquote, buy down, um, effective rates with concessions like free rent right tenant improvement allowances we're starting to see certain landlords who i think are, that are getting ahead of the game you know, build out space furnish space or offer a furniture budget to for a tenant to furnish space and also offer flexible lease terms where you know it's not that you know fixed five seven or ten year they're willing to meet the market and do maybe a three or four year deal where man, that was kind of almost unheard of in the you know pre pre-2020 so I, I do think that you know, most of the landlords you know, recognize um, what it takes to meet the market. Unfortunately, I don't think all of them have the financial flexibility to do so um, um, because, I mean, the sublease market has really – that has become a – the sheer amount of space on the sublease market coupled with kind of the incentives of certain – of the sub-landlords to really just get space off their books – um, you're starting to see asking rates really come down quite a bit on the on the sublease market, yeah. and landlords, yeah. again, they're competing for the same tenant who is looking at sublease space and direct space most of the time, not all the times, but most of the times. Yeah, are there any landlords that, and you don't necessarily have to call anybody out by by name, mm-hmm. but who are doing some things that are really sort of really exemplary and kind of are, you know, on the cutting edge in terms of trying to understand and meet where the market is going. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there are a few that come to mind, and I, it's, it's in my opinion, kind of night and day, the difference in how, they, um, how they're kind of trying to meet the market and how they're attracting, trying to attract tenants to their buildings and what they're doing with their buildings um, and, you know, investing capital into their building to kind of meet or to, to, to well, and, you know, again, getting back to the tenant amen- the building amenities kind of over amenitizing their building. So there are landlords who, who I think totally yeah, really get it and are doing something about it. Um, and I think ultimately those buildings are the ones that are going to outperform the market. You know, yeah. when you look back, what, what, what are they doing? If you don't mind me asking, like what, what are some of these, so, you know, tactical kind of moves that mm-hmm. they're, that they're performing to make this happen? So I think the one that is somewhat easiest to achieve in terms of, um, from a, a timeline perspective is is just how they're marketing the space and they're willing and how they're willing to transact and and something yeah. i mentioned earlier you know building out a space you know on a speculative basis furnishing it or or being very um clear in their marketing that we will offer a furniture budget i mean that there are certain landlords who are, who are really you know packaging that up in a very concise manner um and delivering it to the market and it's, and it, it gets, you know, people's attention. Um, yeah. because you know, yeah. as somebody, as a tenant rep broker and also, you know, for my clients, like, there's so much space out there and information out there 
you know, and our job is to take it and distill it into, into, um, you know, a manner that's consumable for our clients. And, um, and it's, there are landlords where, you know, they have demonstrated they can do this. They will execute on this, on this kind of, on this, um, type of transaction. And they're really packaging it up in a way where it makes it easy for the end user to visualize it and see it when you're actually touring space. Yeah. For the, for the end users, um, if you could weigh kind of, you know, cost versus amenities and sort of some of these added, mm-hmm. added benefits, you know, where, where do they come out? Uh, is it going to be all about the money and the bottom line or do they value some of these, you know, other extraordinary, you know, benefits mm-hmm. as a, um, as a, as, as a useful tool to persuade him to come there? Gosh, I, that's a, it's hard to answer that question with one, one response because sure. it, it really does sure. depend on the company. And I, I, uh, we have clients where, you know, they're optimizing for cost, you know, flat out and, and are willing to compromise on other, um, kind of qualitative components of the, of the search for, for cost. And, and we have other clients that really are optimizing for the employee experience. And as long as yeah. the cost is not, um, egregious or outside of market um you know so there are some companies that are you know taking you know they want to invest a little more in their employees and to make sure that you know if they're going to make that investment in an office or a new office as you say like like yeah. that incremental yeah. additional costs um is, is worth it so it, it is tough to paint one picture i mean i've spent a lot of time talking about technology companies you know we also you know we you know we in the you know work with other you know non-technology companies and and, you know, frankly, those companies have been doing a lot of leasing over the past few years, um, specifically professional service firms, you know, higher end finance firms like private equity firms, venture capitalists, et cetera. And they are um, that 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 segment of the market has just continued to kind of go up and to the right. And, and it's, it's an extremely tight part of the market um, in terms of available inventory and, you know, you know, rents are continuing to increase, which is kind of, um, you know, kind of leaves some folks scratching their head when you see the rest of the market and what's going on in the rest of the market. Yeah. And, and you mentioned this, I think, when we spoke a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, th- this sort of, you know, notion that two markets are emerging mm-hmm. kind of across industry, right? Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, we, you know, you kind of, early days of COVID, you know, when, you know, really, I think, you know, technology companies were the first and the quickest to kind of pull back and, and, and kind of go remote. Um, and at least in San Francisco, it's been, you know, kind of a slow drip back. Um, what we saw from, you know, by and large from professional service firms is kind of, they came back a little bit earlier and more intentionally to the office. And, you know, some of these firms have this frankly done very well, you know, financially themselves, you know, over the past few years and whether, you know, they, you know, they had a lease expiring or just are, were making a decision to relocate their office, you know, growth or potentially, um, downsizing, but by and large, a lot of them have opted to kind of go into higher end spaces. And that, that's both, you know, call it, think of the you know, top floor view space with water views yeah. to also, you know, some of the buildings near where, where our office is in Jackson Square, um, uh, it, it, it's a, a different type of higher end space, but it, 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 you're seeing um, the market for this kind of high end space really just outperform um, the rest of the market by 
uh, I mean, almost exponentially. Yeah, this is the sort of flight to quality, which we've seen, essentially. Mm -hmm. You bring up an interesting point. I think we're seeing a flight to quality across the market, and that's relevant both, like, for technology companies um, that maybe were forced to lease space in kind of secondary or tertiary sub-markets in San Francisco, you know, if they're those that are back in the market looking for space, a lot of them are choosing to come back towards the financial district um, for a lot of things I mentioned before, like, you know, building quality, um, neighborhood amenities, public transit. And I'd say for that higher end segment of the market, absolutely, there's this kind of flight to um, yeah. just kind of getting the, the best space in San Francisco. And, um, you know, that, that demand has been pretty steady over the past few years. And there's just not a ton of yeah. inventory that has come up. Let's go back to the technology, right? You talked about the proprietary systems that you guys are building. And so if we, you know, mm-hmm. pivot now towards the industry of, you know, of, of what you do. So, um, you know, brokerage um, in general, um, the industry has been relatively slow to adopt technology, but there have been, you know, mm-hmm. companies like yours that are, you know, more nimble, kind of, you know, looking at ways to differentiate and sort of be, you know, stand out from like the rest of the, you know, sort of these global players that maybe, um, you know, you know, you know, work on their, you know, traditional lines, lines of business. How is technology overall, you think, um, changing the market? And, and, and does there come a point where there's certain table stakes for a broker to be successful, um, you know, in, in terms of deploying some of this stuff throughout the industry? There is, I think, it, it, an expectation, you know, from most companies and clients, you know, clients that, you know, that their providers and, and, you know, forget just real estate, but like their providers and, you know, in general, you know, have some component of technology um, incorporated into their, into their business model. And again, real estate in particular, we have seen kind of a rush from the brokerage industry to kind of both to build and acquire technology um, on behalf of their clients. I think what makes us unique is, you know, we're, we're building it, all in-house from the ground up in one seamless platform so that, you know, as we build a new feature, it's there available for our clients right next to everything else that we've built. And it's not like a, a separate login or a separate feature or service when they have, you know, five different logins to access the five different things they need to access. Um, so I do think there's a component of, you know, really, yeah. uh, you know, technology, and in, in specifically in the real estate business, you know, so much of the, of, of, of like, frankly, a challenge in our business, so I think historically has been transparency and, and, and data information. Um, because we are not a, you know, it's not like this is the, the stock market where you know, you know, <laughs> you have up, up to the minute real time data um, and kind of can, can trade on that, you know, uh, in a transparent manner. There's, you know, our industry, it's, it's just not like that. So I think those that really embrace data and kind of, and that's kind of what we do. It's like our, our, we embrace data and just kind of who have the best data and then can also streamline that data to their clients and, and actually make use of the data. Just having the data is one thing, but then actually interpreting it yeah. and using it to make smarter, faster decisions. And I think is really kind of the, you know, those that embrace that mentality are going to come out ahead. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, for you guys at, um, at your company, you know, what do the next few years bring? Where are you gonna gonna you know put focus? Um, what would you like to you know company look like in five years from now? That's a good question. I mean, I've you've touched a lot on San Francisco and the brokerage landscape. Um, you know, our at Raise, you know, we also have a robust project management and construction team and a workplace solutions team. And really, you know, for us, you know, our, our goal is to continue to to scale and grow the business, both, you know, in terms of kind of net new markets and expanding our, you know, teams in our current markets. Um, because really, I mean, I've kind of alluded to it, you know, throughout the, our conversation, but what we want to have be is kind of that single source of truth for our clients, you know, whether that's the head of real estate for a publicly traded company or, you know, the COO of an early stage startup, that place where, you know, they know with confidence they can log into our platform and understand, kind of get a full view of their workplace and real estate portfolio. Um, so that's kind of, we're spending a lot of time investing in the technology through that lens. Um, and also kind of as, as it makes sense that the market expansion, because, you know, we have offices in five markets right now, San Francisco, Palo Alto, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Denver, right. and okay. um, New York. And, um, kind of you know are continuing to 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 look at others excellent excellent um mike i i'd like to close my conversations usually with a bit of a personal narrative or maybe a personal message uh for you know maybe you to your younger self or somebody Mm -hmm. entering the industry and kind of wanted to either learn more about your company or brokerage in you know general and is sort of considering it um you know, what are some lessons learned? What are some things that, you know, you would, you would say to, uh, you know, an entrepreneurial young person entering the market today? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, we, we get this a lot, you know, from, from, you know, folks who are interested in the industry. Um, when I, what I tell, tell everybody is that it is an incredibly exciting and rewarding industry. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not without its ups and downs, its challenges, and that you really have to be kind of committed to it and willing to put in the work. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's an industry where if you don't have the end goal in sight and know that you're committed to doing this, you know, there are times when you know it might be frustrating because um, you know, especially specifically in brokerage, you know, there's um, highs and lows, and you have to really kind of keep that steady mindset of um, I'm just going to, you know, keep controlling what I can control. And I like, you know, a quote that sticks with me is luck favors the prepared. And, you know, you look, yeah. you look around sometimes as a broker and you look at your competitors and you think, Oh, you know, so-and-so, how did they do that? They must've gotten lucky and it's, or they got lucky. They have that client. It's, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of hard work that leads up to that. So that's something that I, I really like to instill on everybody who's considering this industry. And it's one where, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it really incorporates all aspects of kind of, in my mind, kind of business. It's sales, it's research, it's analytics, it's client management. Um, so it really, it, it's just incredibly dynamic. And, you know, it's, and then like kind of the, the personal side of it is, especially doing it here in the Bay Area, we get to work with a lot of really cool companies and, you know, companies that are changing the world and to really have an impact on those companies and their office space and their employees' experiences is incredibly re- rewarding. 
Mike, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, stay well and look forward to being in touch with you in the future again soon. Glad you as well. Really good to, to speak with you and thanks for having me on. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.